Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Welcome back to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast. Today I'm here with the best pelvic floor physical therapist, Erica Azzaretto, who is joining us for the second time on the podcast. She was on the second episode, if you haven't already listened to it, Intro to Pelvic Pain Part 2. So today we are going to talk about constipation and its relationship to pelvic pain. We both thought that this was a necessary topic to bring attention to since almost everyone experiences constipation at some point in their lives, especially those with any form of pelvic pain, whether it's mild or severe, and being able to address and treat constipation properly plays a very key role in healing pelvic pain. Just as a disclaimer, neither Erica nor I are doctors, so what we say in this episode or any advice that we may give in this episode is not meant to diagnose or to treat you. So before implementing any recommendations that we may make, please first talk to your doctor. Some supplements could have drug interactions with the medicine you may be taking. So you want to make sure that everything you consume is safe. Without further ado, Erica, thank you for being here to talk about the lovely conversation of constipation. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, Like Hannah said, my name is Erica Azzaretto. I work at Five Point Physical Therapy in New York City, and I treat a lot of constipation. So I'm excited to talk about this. It's the best topic Um, and a lot of eye-opening things to talk about with constipation, right? Yeah. What Um, technically is constipation? Okay. So, because I feel like some people like might be constipated and not think they are, and some people might not be constipated right. and think they are constipated. So, what technically is considered being constipated? So, normal bowel movements have a bigger range than you think. So, you can go anywhere from three times a day is considered normal to once every three days. So, that's all in the normal range. But most patients, I would say, are, or people, mm-hmm. are, would consider themselves constipated if they're going one time every three days. So it really depends on what their symptoms are and what their norm is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, um, like, you really want, ideally, and I think you've said this before, a, a good full bowel movement every day or every other day. Mm-hmm. And it comes out naturally, and the goal is no straining, no pushing, etc. cetera. So um, if you're not going to the bathroom every day or every other day and you're straining every two, three days, that's what we consider constipated. Mm-hmm. So we're really asking the patients, what is your norm 
what do you consider your norm? And that could be every other day, mm-hmm. whatever. But we're also asking if you're feeling constipated, what was your norm before you started feeling constipated? Right. So for some people, that's every other day. Right. But in a general range, it's less than three times a week is what's really considered constipation. Mm-hmm. And so how does constipation contribute to pelvic pain? So constipation can contribute to pelvic pain um, because of the muscles involved mm-hmm. in bowel movements. So there's three type of muscles involved in defecating or having a bowel movement and that's your puborectalis muscle and that's part of your pelvic floor sling and then your external anal sphincter and your internal anal sphincter so the muscles of the pelvic floor and we talked about this i think the first or second episode with kara and i are like a sling across the lower part of your pelvis so they really go from the pubic bone and then they go through the vaginal area, and they continue to the tailbone. But they have fibers that connect around the rectum, and that's the puborectalis. So the puborectalis works in conjunction with the external anal sphincter. They're voluntary muscles, so they can contract and hold in when you want them to hold in, and they can relax when you want them to relax. The, in, the internal anal sphincter is involuntary, so we can't control it. So the puborectalis muscle, part of the pelvic floor, has to really fully relax Mm -hmm. for bowel to go through and Mm -hmm. and to be um, expelled out. So so what happens is when you're about to have bowel movement, right? Peristalsis occurs in the colon and it pumps all the fecal, or I guess, what's a better word than pump? lack of a better word pumps the fecal matter yeah um like through the colon Mm -hmm. and then it brings it into the rectum right and that's right before the anus Mm -hmm. so when the bowel goes into the rectum it depends on how much bowel is in the rectum but it starts to stretch when it stretches the internal anal sphincter relaxes and we can't control that right okay and then what happens is your puborectalis muscle and your external anal sphincter contract to hold in stool so that you're not having fecal incontinence, basically, or like leaking gas. Mm-hmm. So that's contracted. But then you go and sit on the toilet, you put your feet up on like a stool or a squatty potty, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. later, and it opens up the angle of your rectum and your anus, and it la- and then it relaxes mm-hmm. the puborectalis and the external sphincter, and then it allows stool to go through, okay, and to be expelled out. And then everything goes back to its normal tone, like the puborectalis, the external sphincter, and the internal sphincter all go to like a higher tone to like keep everything in again until the rectum fills up. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. So it contributes to pelvic pain because if the if the stool is like a very hard stool consistency or you're straining a lot, um, when you strain, a lot of patients or people will mm-hmm. hold their breath. Mm-hmm. And when you hold your breath, the, the puborectalis and the external anal sphincter never relax. Right. So you're pushing stool out of a really tight muscle system. Right. And you really want that to relax to go to the bathroom. Does that make sense? Yeah also doesn't like doesn't if you're constipated all of the stool put pressure on your pelvic floor 
Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and if you're you're constipated too, like you're, and you have pelvic pain already, mm-hmm. the muscles are constantly contracted, so it's really hard for them, and it might be painful yeah. for them to relax, to let stool come out. So you could have like painful bowel movements when right. you're constipated, and that's because the muscle could be tight. I mean, say you're not having a hemorrhoid or yeah. a fissure or anything like that. If it's just straight pain, it could be just the muscle. And... If you're straining when you're sitting on the toilet, like if you're trying to get your poop to come out, but it's yeah. not, yeah, that can tight make your pelvic floor muscles, as you just said, more tight than exactly, they already are. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. So how it works is when pressure increases in, in your trunk, mm-hmm. your intra-abdominal, um, intra-abdominal pressure increases, mm-hmm. then the pelvic floor tightens up to hold everything in. Right. Right. You need a little increase in intra-abdominal pressure to push stool out of the canal naturally. Mm-hmm. But we only want a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. So when you, you when you really try and increase it a lot by holding your breath and pushing down, the pelvic floor contracts instead of relaxes. So if you're constantly doing that and constantly straining on the toilet, it can cause trigger points in the muscle and it could cause pelvic pain. Yeah. So why is it that people with pelvic pain are more prone to constipation? So it's a great question because, you know, it's like the chicken or the egg, yeah. right? Did the constipation cause the pelvic pain right. or did the pelvic pain create constipation? Right. We don't really know. I mean, people with pelvic pain can be in a constantly contracted state. So like I said before, when stool goes into the rectum and you start getting an urge to mm-hmm. go, the external anal sphincter and the puborectalis may not relax properly. So the pelvic floor muscles may not relax properly because they're constantly contracted. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be causing constipation for the pelvic pain patients. Um, many times we have instances where patients are coming in thinking that they have pelvic pain, and I see this a lot, mm-hmm. and they have lower abdominal pain. And really what it is 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 that once we get their pelvic floor to relax and their stool consistency better and they're not straining anymore, the right. pelvic pain goes away because it was, it was, their pelvic floor isn't contracted a lot from them straining. Interesting. Yeah. So it was like, a, it's a muscular thing. Yeah, so it, yeah. It's very, it could be very muscular. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, also, when you're constantly straining on the toilet, it actually can um, irritate the pudendal nerve. Yeah. So patients can get pudendal ner- or people can get pudendal nerve symptoms yeah. from constantly straining. Mm-hmm. So that's also a big part of uh, just making sure that the patient isn't, you know, straining the pudendal nerve and, yeah. and irritating all of the muscle. Wait, what? Can you just say quickly what symptoms are of pudendal neuralgia? Um, so like numbness or tingling or sharp pelvic pain. Basically, in oh, the, that's just like the main nerve. That's yeah, related. the main nerve. Okay. Oh, and also, so also too, um, tight muscle yeah. can also squeeze the pudendal nerve and give you pudendal nerve symptoms as well. It could also give you like a feeling of tailbone pain, mm-hmm. um, numbness, tingling, decreased sensation, or increased sensation like vulvodynia symptoms, like you've talked about. Yeah. So, like the burning and yeah. the itching. Yeah. And is exactly. it clitoral pain from yep. the Pudin- that a same branch. nerve, right? Yep, a uh-huh. branch of the pudendal nerve. Yeah. So all of those things so so a patient comes in with pelvic pain mm-hmm. and I'm asking the question are you know we're always going to ask what's your bowel 
regimen and and what's your you know are you straining are you constipated that sort of thing mm-hmm. um and if we can at least fix the constipation yeah it could get rid of a symptom of pelvic pain yeah so it goes both ways it's kind of like what causes what but we're going to treat it both of yeah. them we're going to treat the tight muscle and we're going to treat we're going to give you know bowel re-education and, mm-hmm. and also another issue is that a lot of people who have pelvic pain are on some antidepressants exactly. which causes constipation exactly and, as you just said can make pelvic pain worse yeah so that's such a, that's such a good point so mm-hmm. um a lot of people are on like a tricyclic antidepressant yeah. so that's something like uh nortriptyline or amitriptyline mm-hmm. um they're a little bit of like an older type of antidepressant that they give out and then there's like ssris which are like zoloft and prozac yeah. Uh, meds like that and what happens is these medications will block acetylcholine and they and serotonin and or reuptake serotonin so um when acetylcholine is blocked the peristalsis in the system to move all the stool down slows down mm. and also it could be a some of these meds are drying yeah so it could it could really dry out the colon causing heart stool so it can cause slow transit and cause heart stool so we always want to find out okay what meds are you on right. did you just change your med did you increase your med that sort of thing and more straining because like and when you're constipated and you're have hard stool you're trying to like push it out it's not exactly exactly i remember when i was taking like a much higher dose of the medicine than i am now i was so constipated and my doctor wanted me to take more of the medicine and i was just like i don't know if that even makes sense because i'm just gonna get even more constipated than i already am and that's gonna cause other issues exactly and like could even though you're increasing the med thinking it's gonna help the more constipation could be adding to the pelvic pain exactly so it's like a vicious cycle cycle. so you have to be able to take like a supplement or 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 change maybe diet change to equal out to increasing like a med yeah and then okay so now let's talk about what we can do if you are constipated. Oh yeah. Oh, this is the best, <laughs> the best topic. I learned so much like being a pelvic floor PT because yeah. you know I obviously That's suffer a, constipation. Yeah. I mean everyone, everyone. I feel like yeah. you either have loose stool or hard stool, yeah. right? Um, it's. Hard I always to be say normal. I'm like, would I rather have a lifetime like, of? Would uh, I rather like ha- be cons- chronically constipated or like have chronic diarrhea? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I think I a lot of people either. choose diarrhea over constipation. I think so too. I, have to say. I think so too. Yeah. But then you talk to people who have chronic diarrhea and they're like it's the worst thing it's the, the worst thing world. ever yeah yeah so um what what do we do to combat constipation yeah. and i mean i've learned so much like mm-hmm. working with constipation patients it's funny when i first started treating pelvic floor the i got i mean this was like years and years ago but like i got flooded in with just constipation patients yeah. and like i was like oh my god i thought i was only treating like painful intercourse That's like so-, so yeah so you really like learn a lot yeah um, but also like talking to the GIs and really questioning and mm-hmm. asking a lot. I mean, to so your own gastrointestinal doctor and your internist, they are really knowledgeable in a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And they've taught me a lot. But um, I think that you really have to assess like what your bowel's doing on yeah. different medications, yeah. to be honest. And yeah. then say, this isn't working. This is making me feel worse and yeah. changing it immediately. But you have to ask a lot of questions. Like, yeah, I mean, that's I the best thing about millennials i would mm-hmm. say is that everyone I, I talks agree. bad about millennials but they ask a lot so of many questions. questions and i think it's a good thing right mm-hmm. 
Um, so, oh, what can we do to combat constipation? Yeah. Is that what we were talking about? Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say water is the biggest thing. I, I think that I you can go through an entire day's work without having a glass of water. And right. if you don't, I mean, for instance, I'm nine months pregnant right now. Yeah. I've been so thirsty the entire pregnancy and mm. I haven't had any constipation and I've had constipation my entire life. So I'm like, That's oh my so God, is it because I was dehydrated this whole time? You know what I mean? Because you're so yeah. aware yeah. now that you have to right. drink water. You can't forget. Right. So so when a patient comes in, we're, so we're going to make them fill out a bowel diary, which I'll talk about mm-hmm. in a little bit. But on the bowel diary, just to see how, what they're doing every day, I want them to write down how much water are you drinking? Mm-hmm. And like write down everything you're drinking, mm-hmm. you know, but how much water are you drinking? Because you really need to have, you need to drink half your weight in ounces. Mm-hmm. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you need to drink 50 ounces of water a day. Mm-hmm. So you really have to like, I mean, people will, will really drink like 20 ounces, 10 ounces. No, so, they don't. And also yeah. if you're drinking coffee, you have to have it doesn't count. like two glasses of right. water for to right. balance out that one cup of coffee exactly. to rehydrate you. So Exactly. And even like iced tea. Juices, and iced tea stuff. doesn't like, count. Yeah, it yeah. dehydrates you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So water, water, water. The next big thing that there is a misconception about is fiber. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know if misconception is the right word, but confusion. Right. So we need to teach the difference between soluble and insoluble fiber. Mm -hmm. Generally, you need both in your diet for healthy fiber intake. I think healthy fiber intake is around like 30 Mm -hmm. milligrams-ish. So it depends on how much of this certain type of fiber you're eating because it can determine your stool consistency Mm -hmm. and how fast things are coming out of you. Right. So... Soluble mm-hmm. fiber pulls in water, and it helps you absorb proper nutrients. Mm-hmm. So the thing about soluble fiber, an example would be like a banana. So it will thicken your stool consistency. Right. So if someone has a lot of diarrhea, mm-hmm. eating a lot of soluble fiber will help them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Someone that has a lot of constipation, upping their insoluble fiber is better because insoluble fiber doesn't absorb or break down anything when it goes through your digestive tract and it pushes things through really fast right okay so example of that would be like berries right or like pears and apples right so a lot of different types of fruit could Mm -hmm. be helpful Mm -hmm. um so so that that so you have to know the difference between both and then see if you could change your diet accordingly Mm -hmm. but you really want to mix the both Right. Is the trick. And, you know, when I eat fruit in the morning, first thing in the morning on an empty stomach and wait like a half hour before eating anything else, nine times out of ten, I will have a bowel movement almost instantaneously. But a related topic that I also just thought of that I want to quickly talk about is food combining. And this is really a conversation that can could be a whole separate podcast episode. But I do think it's relevant to just give a brief summary as to what food combining really is. Um, So basically anyone who suffers from bloating, constipation, indigestion, acid reflux, weight gain can all benefit from incorporating food combining into their daily life. And what food combining is, is a method of eating that allows you to digest your food in the most efficient way, allowing your body to absorb the greatest amount of nutrients from the food you consume. So all foods are digested at different rates using different enzymes. 
And it's important to understand which combinations of consuming different foods are optimal for digestive health. For example, if we start with fruits, fruit digests the fastest. It only takes 30 to 45 minutes for your body to digest fruit, whereas protein digests the slowest. It takes three to four hours for your body to digest protein. So if you have, let's say, lunch, for example, and you have chicken salad, and after that you have an apple, you are not food combining properly. You're, you're, and this isn't, not everyone will, will have, let's say, gas, constipation, bloating from this. But if you do suffer from, from these issues, you, this is probably causing you, your issues to be exacerbated and you probably will get bloating, gas, constipation. I know I do. So what's happening scientifically in your body is having that piece of fruit after a meal where you've had protein the fruit is unable to digest since the protein is blocking it. The protein digests very slowly and the fruit digests very quickly. So the fruit wants to move through your stomach, but it can't because the protein is slowly moving through in front of it. So the fruit essentially just sits on top of the protein. It ferments, it turns into acid and it creates many digestive issues. So that's where you get bloating, you get gas, you get acid reflux because this fermentation is coming back up your, your stomach and you're burping or you're having heartburn. This can also contribute to issues such as candida and bacterial overgrowth. So food combining is really so helpful. Um, and with that said, my recommendation would be to only eat fruit first thing in the morning and wait at least 30 minutes before you have anything else. I would not have fruit at dessert for dessert at the end of the night. I wouldn't have fruit as a late afternoon snack. Personally, only fruit in the morning. Okay, do you need to follow these principles 100% of the time? No. Once in a while, you have some fruit for dessert, whatever, here and there. It's fine. No one's perfect. No one can do things 100%. This is like, I don't know, 75%, 80% of your life. Follow these principles. It will really help you, I believe. So also just another fact about food combining, non-starchy vegetables such as leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables. So any green vegetable combines well with anything. It combines actually well with fruit protein, grains, carbohydrates, you name it, you can, greens are free food. They, they, they're okay with anything. Proteins and starchy vegetables, such as potatoes, squash, carrots, should be eaten separately. One for lunch and one for dinner. And then I like to have personally a protein with a non-starchy vegetable for lunch and a starchy vegetable and a non-starchy vegetable for dinner. So I know it's a lot of information. I have a blog post on my website about food combining. My website's hannahmatluck.com. Um, you can also YouTube food combining. There's so many articles online about food combining, and they're all honestly pretty helpful and and pretty similar. You know, there's not much of like a deviation between food combining. And it's not an exact science. As I said, you don't need to follow it 100% of the time, but you do need to give it at least two weeks in order to notice any significant results. And it's also important to remember that I believe food combining, it's not a diet. It's just a way of understanding how the digestive system is working in order to feel your best. So if you want to discuss food combining more, if you think that we should do another podcast episode on this, maybe even a YouTube video could be cool. I don't know, send the feedback my way um, and let's continue.
the biggest thing about this is another like idea for um combating constipation is mm-hmm. always eating breakfast yeah. because breakfast with fruit and the proper fiber mm-hmm. initiates your gastrocolic colonic reflex mm-hmm. and this reflex is the strongest reflex you get in the day to go to the bathroom right. so if you keep skipping breakfast which was like my problem and a million other patients that are going to work at like 8 a.m you know right. no one's eating breakfast they're missing that they're missing that huge reflex so they're mm-hmm. never getting as strong of a reflex after a meal throughout the rest of the day yeah. so it's really important to constantly keep eating breakfast so that you retrain your body to get that reflex and go in the morning right so like you'll find that like a lot of people i mean when you start talking about what their diets are mm-hmm. eating salads every day for like breakfast yeah. uh, for lunch and dinner yeah. And constipates it you. constipates yeah. you big time. It takes a longer time to yeah. break down the roughage, right? Yeah. So having cooked vegetables is really, really important. Mm-hmm. If you could have it with your protein, like mm-hmm. it's super helpful in regulating your bowels. Sure. Makes a big difference. You could see in patients. Another thing that I do sometimes in the morning that really helps for me to go to the bathroom is I'll have a big glass of water with half a squeezed lemon and two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. And if I have that and then a cup of berries and then wait a half hour, 90% of the time I'll go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Agreed. Um, And then I know, oh, you had mentioned um, doing like uh, talking about a daily probiotic. Yeah. Um, And I just really recommend like a line because you can get it at. Mm-hmm. Uh, pharmacy yeah, and it's good. quick yeah and I, I've heard that like garden of life is a good one too yeah. but I think it is really important uh to definitely take a probiotic mm-hmm. and there's another probiotic yeah, I, I just ordered that I've been taking that's really good it's called Dr. O'Hara and I ordered it on Amazon oh it's really good it doesn't okay. have to be refrigerated you take one in the morning and one at night and then also doctor have you heard of Dr. Mercola no he sells like supplements, but he's a doctor and obviously, and he sells a really good probiotic. So I'll link those. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, you really want one with acidophilus. I think that's helping yeah. your digestive or your GI tract. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other. And probiotics are also good if you have pelvic pain. Yeah. You want to take a probiotic to keep your like ecosystem. Yep. And the flora healthy. Yeah. When you yeah, so pelvic pain is if you have like someone that suffers like a lot of yeast infection, things yeah. like that, you want to take a probiotic that's like vaginal flora probiotic. Yeah. But I mean you probably want you want to take a GI probiotic as well. So yeah. or gut There's probiotic. One vaginal one that I take that's actually really good. It's called do you know what it's called? Proflora? I think so. Maybe yeah that's a really good one. It's a really good yeah. one. I'll link that one. Yeah. Um and, and then also, also eating fermented foods, foods like sauerkraut, tempeh, yes. Yeah. I know. There's like mixed research there about is this. There is mixed research I know. about it. And some, some people say it contributes to candida and that it like can make your gut issues worse. And, you know, for I think for two years, I completely avoided anything fermented. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's fermented foods. But then recently, I was reading a lot more about it and... I think that they're actually really helpful. Yeah. Because I read that there's only so much good probiotics that can be absorbed from taking a supplement. So if you're eating the foods that have those probiotics, your right. body absorbs it more. Right. And I read that. So maybe it has to do yeah, with like food know. combining too, like eating yeah. the fermented foods at the proper timing. Mm-hmm. Um, if any any of the listeners, like um, the Instagram 
tag the gut digest or name the gut digest is yeah. a great uh instagram to follow for about gut stuff yeah and i know they talk about fermented they like talk about evidence on fermented foods a lot too mm-hmm. but that's a great instagram to follow for like gut information what's it called the gut digest the gut digest and i was reading a blog post that aviva rom wrote yeah we both like aviva rom exactly and she aviva rom's a really interesting gynecologist and who's very focused on like holistic ways to treat yeah, and supplement issues and supplements. But she says that when you have candida, fermented foods are good for right. cup fermented foods. I trust her. Right. I trust her. So. And she's the one that said the pro flora yeah, yeah, probiotic. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And then, oh, I would say like another good thing for constipation, mm-hmm. making sure you're exercising and doing cardio. Yes. It just keeps the digestive system moving. I agree. Yoga is great mm-hmm. for uh, constipation because abdominal or trunk twisting can mm-hmm. help move things along mm-hmm. um, and give you almost like a colon massage when you're at yoga. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? Oh, I want to talk about magnesium. Mm-hmm. So magnesium, I love. I think it's a great supplement. Aviva Ram is a whole uh, podcast about this. On magnesium. On magnesium. But the basic knowledge is, is that magnesium citrate mm-hmm. is works more as a laxative. It pushes th- things through your system. Right. Magnesium glycinate is what works for like muscle. So if you have like restless leg syndrome or eye twitches, right. magnesium glycinate is going gonna, is gonna to work. Or you have like very bad period cramps, taking a lot of magnesium nitrate, uh, glycinate, sorry, before mm-hmm. you have your period could be helpful with cramps. Yeah. Um, but we typically will recommend magnesium citrate. Now we have them talk to their physician because you don't want to have someone with like a high blood pressure or any sort of blood pressure or uh, heart abnormalities and mm-hmm. take magnesium. But so you have them talk to their doctor, but generally it's a great supplement. You start patients on magnesium citrate like a little lower, like around three, four hundred milligrams at night. And then based on what their stool consistency is, you can up it or lower it. So if they are if they're having very loose stool, it might be too much. You lower the magnesium. If their stool is still hard, you could up the magnesium. Mm-hmm. And you could take it for a longer period of time. Mag oxide is another option, but it's much stronger than magnesium citrate. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be using it for like more than a couple of weeks. So magnesium citrate is a safer bet, but mag oxide works great if you need to push things through your system. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands of magnesium magnesium citrate which are good are pure encapsulations is a great yeah. one you could order that on amazon mm-hmm. uh and natural comms a good one too mm-hmm. you just have to measure it out natural so comms a powder, powder. Yeah. yeah so you just have to measure it out but mm-hmm. yeah and and you said the mago 7 that you recommend mago 7 is mag oxide it's yeah. way stronger so it mm-hmm. just depends on the severity and if you need to get the colon to start moving and then switch them onto magnesium citrate mm-hmm. And there's another good brand that I've been using recently. I forgot what it's called, but I'm going to look it up after on Amazon and I'll put the link. And post it, yeah. yeah. Um, and and then, then also like know. magnesium, there's a lot of magnesium-rich foods. So if you can get magnesium-rich foods mm-hmm. in your diet and really increase that, I mean, that's your best bet is doing, you know, and getting most, your like, soluble, right, yeah. doing your soluble inside of proper fiber foods and your proper magnesium foods. Yeah. And so. some magnesium-rich foods are... Leafy greens, yeah. spinach, kale, broccoli, yeah. dark chocolate, dark even chocolate. yeah, avocado. Yeah, avocado is really good. Yeah. Um, and then one other thought that I just had that I wanted to mention was that a lot of people who have pelvic pain have probably taken a lot of antibiotics because they've probably been told they have infections or UTIs or bacterial vaginosis. Right. And 
I'm sure most of you know this, but if you don't, antibiotics can really take the good bacteria out of your stomach, which can cause a lot of digestive issues. So it's really, really important that if you have taken a lot of antibiotics to also be really diligent about taking probiotics and eating high fiber foods and um, replenishing the gut gut flora, right? Exactly. Replenishing the gut flora. Yeah. And yeah, it's definitely important to take probiotics too, along with, well, when you're taking antibiotics, but you just got to time it uh, at different times. So you just talk to the, whoever's giving you the antibiotic, ask them when to take a probiotic. Because if you take the antibiotic, it will like cancel each other out. I mean, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you want to take it different times. And there was one other thing that I, oh, my other recommendation that I have is that if you have pelvic pain and you're really constipated, if you just stop and generally step back and look at your diet and and analyze what you're eating, you should if you're if you notice that you're eating a lot of high carbohydrate foods such as pasta, pizza, bread, cereal, bagels, that's all going to constipate you and it's not that those are like necessarily bad for you and you should cut them out completely, but you should reduce the amount that you're consuming significantly because all that those foods do is stop you up and they don't really have that much nutritional content so it's probably important if you are really constipated and do have pelvic pain to do a food diary right really look at what you're eating yeah look at what you're eating exactly and and if you know you're having a bagel for breakfast and pasta for lunch and more carbohydrates for dinner you got to cut down on it yeah right and eat more vegetables yeah and like just taking you know replacing things like if you're gonna have you know toast with egg and avocado in the morning you really should have fruit with it so you got to mix like more of an insoluble fiber with the soluble fibers and or have whole grain bread you know right or even if you want to have pasta for lunch i follow this woman have cooked veggies with it right she says if you're gonna have she makes like chickpea the eat bonds of chickpea pasta which is so good but she says instead of having a whole bowl of chickpea pasta with a little bit of vegetables have a whole bowl of vegetables and then put like half a cup of pasta in it so you still feel like you're having that substantial meal that's satisfying and you have a carb in it but the majority of the meal is vegetables exactly exactly so you really have to play around with it and see what works for you and also making your own food is super helpful instead of ordering every day yeah and you don't have to completely cut out these foods but it's just adding in more vegetables and finding ways to make what you're eating healthier for you and help your digestive system function. agreed agreed um oh i think oh we were talking about the relationship between stress and constipation yeah um also like the question is like does stress really induce constipation, constipation. Mm-hmm. but like you were saying like we can compare it to in the morning mm-hmm if you wait 30 minutes after you eat breakfast and you give yourself time, you relax, you wake up a little bit early in the morning, you have mm-hmm. your breakfast, you know, you get ready for work and then you get a urge to go to the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the rest and digest part of your nervous system. Mm-hmm. That's your parasympathetic nervous system right. working. So it's getting everything to like flow and go and move normally. Right. When you're stressed all the time and say you're late for work and you're giving yourself like 10 minutes to get ready, mm-hmm. it's your fight or flight response. And you're not going to go. You're not going to go. That always happens to Exactly. Me. When I'm rushed to work, I exactly. don't go to the, I might not even go to the bathroom that whole Right, day. and then people get to work and they don't want to go to the bathroom at work. Right. So... You really, really, really have to kick in your parasympathetic nervous system, meaning that you have to 
meditate or find quiet time to relax and eat don't eat in front of your computer don't eat in front of the tv you want to make sure that like and you're feeling like a proper urge to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. you're not pushing off an urge Mm -hmm. um and that's really important so if you're stressed all the time and your fight or flight is like always going and you're you're moving from place to place all over never stopping you're going to be constipated from that so so can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why is it that when some people are really stressed, they go to the bathroom more? You know, some people get like yeah. anxiety and then they're going to the bathroom every hour or if there's a big change in someone's life or they're stressed about something at work, they sometimes people feel like they have to poop more. It's like a nervous thing. Yeah. It might just be their body's reaction. Yeah. Like, I'm not really sure like the answer. Or something? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I would say if you're in like a constantly stressed, state and it, it could really affect constipation yeah yeah i agree with that um and then can yeah. I ask, well another question that i wanted to ask you was what are your thoughts on laxatives and oh, enemas yeah. and stool softeners because i don't know you must have a lot of patients who are coming in and abusing all of these types yeah. of things so we you know we get patients that come in they're like i mm-hmm. do three enemas a day to go to the bathroom oh my god yes Three enemas a day to go to the bathroom. I've taken Miralax for years. I take Dulcolax every other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get like a mix of stuff, yeah. right? And it's because that they're not educated or no one's telling them you can't do that. Or mm-hmm. the doctor's saying, okay, you can't do that anymore. Now you have to go to PT or whatever. But, but they I mean, think that three enemas a day is okay? No, they don't think it's okay. But it feels better than not going. Than not going. Yeah. So laxatives can really cause like serious side effects. Uh, and I would say like a rule of thumb with mm-hmm. laxatives is that they shouldn't be taken more than three days in a row. Mm-hmm. So if you went away on a long trip and your food was all changed up in a different country or something and you uh, took a laxative for that just to get your bowels fine. moving again, fine, yeah. right? You up your magnesium that week. You mm-hmm. you know, you know take a Dulcolax. Okay, whatever. But um, so use it as like an emergency aid. Mm -hmm. But you're just training your digestive system by using it constantly so that your digestive system can't work without it. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's really, really, we want to wean patients under the uh, care of the physician. Mm -hmm. But we really, the goal is to wean the patient off the laxative and Mm -hmm. then get them on like a supplement, like something like magnesium or aloe to help them go to the bathroom and then naturally naturally and something like psyllium which is soluble and insoluble fiber Mm -hmm. that's like a a form of metamucil um to get their stool consistency normal Mm -hmm. so we'll try and do things like that just to taper the patient off while we're doing pelvic floor treatment right and and hopefully wean them off and it it works pretty well so but yeah so that's really i mean it could be a big cause of constipation Mm -hmm. and also can you talk about for a second, like I know that there's a few rules like not pushing your, not forcing your your poop to come out, but also if you have the urge, not holding it in. If you have the urge to go to the bathroom, oh, yeah. isn't it important to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we teach this like in pelvic floor PT, right? Yeah. So we talk about 
oh, okay, so you can push off your bladder urges, mm-hmm. right, all you want. Mm-hmm. You don't want to push off a right. bowel urge. Right, so, I remember you telling yeah. me that. Yeah, uh-huh. so like pushing off your bowel urge will decrease this sensation, mm-hmm. okay? So you want to always like get a strong, full sensation to have a bowel movement and go to the bathroom mm-hmm. rather than pushing it off, pushing it off, and then you start getting less urges and less urges to go. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's also really important to have like meal timing or, mm-hmm. or meals, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But at like consistent time. Consistent time so that right. you keep getting those same urges every day after certain meals. Right. So that's the goal. And that just keeps your sensation up and it doesn't decrease uh, any sensation. Right. Okay. So let's just give a few more tips before we wrap up to combat constipation. So one of them I know is that stool that people can use oh yeah the, the squatty squat- potty yeah. What yeah. Is that? yeah okay so like and we do this in pelvic floor pt so we go over toileting posture right yeah so you're you want the patient to sit in a position where their knees are higher than their hips and what that does is it opens up the anal rectal angle so it allows stool to pass through through your rectum like much easier right. than you sitting up and you know your feet can't touch the floor so what the squatty potty does is the squatty potty lifts your feet up on the on the um, stool and it allows the anal rectal angle to open so that's really I mean it just puts you in the best toileting posture as possible with less straining right so it's actually genius but you could just use any stool you want and in the you bathroom just put both each foot both up, each foot up yep and it will help you to go to the bathroom easier yeah yeah and then like another thing is like teaching correct breathing patterns so mm-hmm. you can bear down or you increase your intra-abdominal pressure but you don't want to hold your breath so you want to do it with like an exhale or a huff or using like the back of your throat or like we always say like sing your poop out right. you know like yeah. get like exhale so that your pelvic floor doesn't contract and it relaxes, and it relaxes while you're increasing your intra-abdominal pressure so that stool comes out easily Got it. in a proper toileting posture yeah. With your feet on the squatty body. So, yeah. Floor physical therapy is really helpful for people who might not have or might not think they have pelvic pain or might not have pelvic pain. Right. But even if you are chronically constipated, right. pelvic floor physical therapy can really help. Right. Because we're teaching you how to coordinate your muscles, right? Right. How to bear down properly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're contracting too much, mm-hmm. you could use biofeedback, which is like uh, a tool that shows your muscle tone on a screen and it shows if you're contracting, relaxing, or bearing down. So we use that um, to in a toileting position to see what the patient's muscles look like in that Mm -hmm. position. Um, But yeah, and then teaching them like basic things like don't hold your urge. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't hold the, don't push off your urge. Doing a bowel diary so you see like what someone's pattern actually is. Like how often are they really going? They might be going less or more than they think. Mm-hmm. You know, any sort of basic nutritional things, the fiber stuff, increasing your water, uh, that sort of thing. Meal timing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, allowing yourself time to go to the bathroom. Uh, so yeah. Oh, and doing like abdominal massage work is yeah, great. Really helpful. Yeah, stretches to like move your organs and mm-hmm. give circulation to your trunk organs and your colon. It helps move things through and get gas through. Mm-hmm. So a my, lot of education. Yeah, my cousin who's on, I think episode eight of the podcast, and she does a lot of Ayurvedic. Yeah. Work, and she always says that if you have any constipation or bloating or gas, 
to like use an oil or like even coconut oil works and like rub it in a circular motion around your belly button and you exactly can press kind of the points around your belly button and you'll feel that like you'll feel that that they hurt it hurts a little bit when you press them but it will release some of the gas and can help you go to the bathroom yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. and like it's if you work in like a clockwise direction it mm-hmm. works in the direction of the colon and where the stool moves yeah so you definitely like you'll find tight points in certain spots yeah sometimes she'll do it for me and i feel it goes to my back and my lower back oh yeah when i'm constipated yeah oh yeah for sure for sure i know it's really interesting like you'll have patients come in and they're like i have sharp vaginal pain and then i go to the bathroom and it's gone really yeah but that's because their pelvic floor is in a contracted state and they're being irritated the stool and the rectum and once they go and they relax and they get everything out the muscle can relax again yeah interesting Mm mm-hmm so it's very, very interesting. Um, Who knew there could be so much information on yeah, constipation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who knew we'd be talking about this for uh, 45 minutes? <laughs> um, if anyone listening has any more questions for you, how can they get in touch with you? How can they reach you? Okay, so I um, I have two email addresses. It's mm-hmm. Erica, E-R-I-C-A dot A-Z-Z-A-R-E-T-T-O at gmail.com. Or mm-hmm. my work email is Erica, E-R-I-C-A at the number five, P-O-I-N-T-P-T dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you could reach me on my Instagram, and it's called Pelvis to the People. Yeah, everyone follow her. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. She started a really cool Instagram account focused um, on pelvic health yeah so yeah as uh basing off hannah's <laughs> she does such a good job um so yeah and you can follow me on that and you can message me on there as well cool yeah okay thank you don't yes. forget to leave a comment and give every episode a five-star rating and share this with your friends and family even if you don't have pelvic pain constipation can be really helpful like talking about constipation can be really helpful for anyone and stay tuned for the next episode yeah and when in doubt increase your water yes (laughs) i agree thanks erica okay thank you